Chapter 23 The Apostles Not Ignorant The Heretical Pretense of St. Peter's Imperfection Because He Was Rebuked by St. Paul St. Peter Not Rebuked for Error in Teaching Now with the view of branding the apostles with some mark of ignorance, they put forth the case of Peter, and them that were with him having been rebuked by Paul. Something, therefore, they say, was wanting in them. This they allege, in order that they may from this construct that other position of theirs, that a fuller knowledge may possibly have afterwards come over the apostles, such as fell to the share of Paul when he rebuked those who preceded him. I may here say to those who reject the acts of the apostles, It is first necessary that you show us who this Paul was, both what he was before he was an apostle, and how he became an apostle. So very great is the use which they make of him in respect of other questions also. It is true that he tells us himself that he was a persecutor before he became an apostle. Still, this is not enough for any man who examines before he believes, since even the Lord himself did not bear witness of himself. But let them believe without the scriptures, if their object is to believe contrary to the scriptures. Still, they should show, from the circumstances which they allege of Peter's being rebuked by Paul, that Paul added yet another form of the gospel besides that which Peter and the rest had previously set forth. But the fact is, having been converted from a persecutor to a preacher, he is introduced as one of the brethren to brethren, by brethren, to them indeed, by men who had put on faith from the apostles' hands. Afterwards, as he himself narrates, he went up to Jerusalem for the purpose of seeing Peter, because of his office, no doubt, and by the right of a common belief and preaching. Now they certainly would not have been surprised at his having become a preacher instead of a persecutor, if his preaching were of something contrary, nor, moreover, would they have glorified the Lord, because Paul had presented himself as an adversary to him. They accordingly even gave him the right hand of fellowship, as a sign of their agreement with him, and arranged amongst themselves a distribution of office, not a diversity of gospel, so that they should severally preach not a different gospel, but the same, to different persons, Peter to the circumcision, Paul to the Gentiles. For as much then as Peter was rebuked because, after he had lived with the Gentiles, he proceeded to separate himself from their company out of respect for persons, the fault surely was one of conversation, not of preaching. For it does not appear from this that any other God than the Creator, or any other Christ than the Son of Mary, or any other hope than the resurrection was by him announced. Chapter 24 St. Peter's Further Vindication St. Paul Not Superior to St. Peter in Teaching Nothing imparted to the former in the third heaven enabled him to add to the faith. Heretics boast as if favored with some of the secrets imparted to him. I have not the good fortune, or as I must rather say, I have not the unenviable task of setting apostles by the ears. But, inasmuch as our very perverse cavillers obtrude the rebuke in question for the set purpose of bringing the earlier doctrine into suspicion, I will put in a defense, as it were, for Peter, to the effect that even Paul said that he was made all things to all men, to the Jews a Jew, to those who were not Jews as one who was not a Jew, that he might gain all. Therefore, it was according to times and persons and causes that they used to censure certain practices, which they would not hesitate themselves to pursue in like conformity to times and persons and causes, just, in other words, as if Peter too had censured Paul, because whilst forbidding circumcision, he actually circumcised Timothy himself. Never mind those who pass sentence on apostles. It is a happy fact that Peter is on the same level with Paul in the very glory of martyrdom. Now, although Paul was carried away even to the third heaven, and he was caught up to paradise, and heard certain revelations there, yet these cannot possibly seem to have qualified him for teaching another doctrine, seeing that their very nature was such as to render them communicable to no human being. If, however, that unspeakable mystery did leak out, and became known to any man, and if any heresy affirms that it does itself follow the same, then either Paul must be charged with having betrayed the secret, or some other man must actually be shown to have been afterwards caught up into paradise.
who had permission to speak out plainly what Paul was not allowed even to mutter. Chapter 25 The Apostles did not keep back any of the deposit of doctrine which Christ had entrusted to them. St. Paul openly committed his whole doctrine to Timothy. But here is, as we have said, the same madness in their allowing indeed that the Apostles were ignorant of nothing, and preaching not any doctrines which contradicted one another, but at the same time insisting that they did not reveal all to all men, for that they proclaimed some openly and to all the world, whilst they disclosed others only in secret and to a few, because Paul addressed even this expression to Timothy, O Timothy, guard that which is entrusted to thee, and again, that good thing which was committed under thy keep. What is this deposit? Is it so secret as to be supposed to characterize a new doctrine? Or is it a part of that charge of which he says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy? And also of that precept of which he says, I charge thee in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Jesus Christ, who witnessed a good confession under Pontius Pilate, that thou keep this commandment? Now, what is this commandment, and what is this charge? From the preceding and the succeeding contexts, it will be manifest that there is no mysterious hint darkly suggested in this expression about some far-fetched doctrine, but that a warning is rather given against receiving any other doctrine than that which Timothy had heard from himself, as I take it publicly. Before many witnesses is his phrase. Now, if they refuse to allow that the church is meant by these many witnesses, it matters nothing, since nothing could have been secret which was produced before many witnesses, nor, again, must the circumstance of his having wished him to commit these things to faithful men, who should be able to teach others also, be construed into a proof of there being some occult gospel. For when he says, these things, he refers to the things of which he is writing at the moment. In reference, however, to occult subjects, he would have called them as being absent, those things, not these things, to one who had a joint knowledge of them with himself. Chapter 26. The apostles did in all cases teach the whole truth to the whole church, no reservation nor partial communication to favorite friends. Besides which, it must have followed that, for the man to whom he committed the ministration of the gospel, he would add the injunction that it be not ministered in all places and without respect to persons, in accordance with the Lord saying, not to cast one's pearls before swine, nor that which is holy unto dogs. Openly did the Lord speak, without any intimation of a hidden mystery. He had himself commanded that, whatsoever they had heard in darkness and in secret they should declare in the light and on the housetops. He had himself foreshown, by means of a parable, that they should not keep back in secret, fruitless of interest, a single pound, that is, one word of his. He used himself to tell them that a candle was not usually pushed away under a bushel, but placed on a candlestick, in order to give light to all who are in the house. These things the apostles either neglected or failed to understand, if they fulfilled them not, by concealing any portion of the light, that is, of the word of God and the mystery of Christ. Of no man, I am quite sure, were they afraid, neither of Jews nor of Gentiles in their violence. With all the greater freedom, then, would they certainly preach in the church, who held not their tongue in the synagogues and public places. Indeed, they would have found it impossible either to convert Jews or to bring in Gentiles, unless they set forth in order that which they would have them believe much less when churches were advanced in the faith, would they have withdrawn from them anything for the purpose of committing it separately to some few others? Although, even supposing that among intimate friends, so to speak, they did hold certain discussions, yet it is incredible that these could have been such as to bring in some other rule of faith, differing from and contrary to that which they were proclaiming through the Catholic churches, as if they spoke of one God in the church and another at home, and described one substance of Christ publicly and another secretly, and announced one hope of the resurrection before all men and another before the few, although they themselves in their epistles besought men that they would all speak one and the same thing, and that there should be no divisions and dissensions in the church, seeing that they, whether Paul or others, preach the same thing. 
Moreover, they remember the words, Let your communication be yea, and yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than this cometh of evil, so that they were not to handle the gospel in a diversity of treatment. Chapter 27 Granted that the apostles transmitted the whole doctrine of truth, may not the churches have been unfaithful in handing it on? Inconceivable that this can have been the case. Since, therefore, it is incredible that the apostles were either ignorant of the whole scope of the message which they had to declare, or failed to make known to all men the entire rule of faith, let us see whether, while the apostles proclaimed it, perhaps simply and fully, the churches, through their own fault, set it forth otherwise than the apostles had done. All these suggestions of distrust you may find put forward by the heretics. They bear in mind how the churches were rebuked by the apostle. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? And ye did run so well, who hath hindered you? And how the epistle actually begins, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him who hath called you as his own in grace to another gospel, that they likewise remember what was written to the Corinthians, that they were yet carnal, who required to be fed with milk, being as yet unable to bear strong meat, who also thought that they knew somewhat, whereas they knew not yet anything as they ought to know. When they raised the objection that the churches were rebuked, let them suppose that they were also corrected. Let them also remember those churches concerning whose faith and knowledge and conversation the apostle rejoices and give thanks to God, which nevertheless even at this day unite with those which were rebuked in the privileges of one and the same institution. Chapter 28. The one tradition of the faith, which is substantially alike in the churches everywhere, a good proof that the transmission has been true and honest in the main. Grant, then, that all have erred, that the apostle was mistaken in giving his testimony, that the Holy Ghost had no such respect to any one church as to lead it into truth, although sent with this view by Christ, and for this asked of the Father that he might be the teacher of truth. Grant also that he, the steward of God, the vicar of Christ, neglected his office, permitting the churches for a time to understand differently and to believe differently what he himself was preaching by the apostles. Is it likely that so many churches, and they so great, should have gone astray into one and the same faith? No casualty distributed among many men issues in one and the same result. Error of doctrine in the churches must necessarily have produced various issues. When, however, that which is deposited among many is found to be one and the same, it is not the result of error, but of tradition. Can any one then be reckless enough to say that they were in error who handed on the tradition? Chapter 29. The truth not indebted to the care of the heretics. It had free course before they appeared. Priority of the church's doctrine a mark of its truth. In whatever manner error came, it reigned, of course, only as long as there was an absence of heresies. Truth had to wait for certain Marcionites and Valentinians to set it free. During the interval, the gospel was wrongly preached, men wrongly believed, so many thousands were wrongly baptized, so many works of faith were wrongly wrought, so many miraculous gifts, so many spiritual endowments were wrongly set in operation, so many priestly functions, so many ministries were wrongly executed, and to sum up the whole, so many martyrs wrongly received their crowns. Else, if not wrongly done, and to no purpose, how comes it to pass that the things of God were on their course before it was known to what God they belonged? That they were Christians before Christ was found? That there were heresies before true doctrine? Not so, for in all cases truth precedes its copy. The likeness succeeds the reality. Absurd enough, however, is it that heresy should be deemed to have preceded its own prior doctrine, even on this account, because it is that doctrine itself which foretold that there should be heresies against which men should have to guard. To a church which possessed this doctrine it was written, Yea, the doctrine itself writes to its own church. Though an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. Chapter 30 Comparative Lateness of Heresies Marcion's Heresy Some Personal Facts About Him The Heresy of Apelles Character of This Man Philumene, 
Valentinus, Nigidius, and Hermogenes. Where was Marcion, then, that shipmaster of Pontus, the zealous student of Stoicism? Where was Valentinus, then, the disciple of Platonism? For it is evident that those men lived not so long ago, in the reign of Antoninus, for the most part, and that they at first were believers in the doctrine of the Catholic Church, in the Church of Rome under the Episcopate of the Blessed Eleutherus, until on account of their ever-restless curiosity, with which they even infected the brethren, they were more than once expelled. Marcion indeed went with the two hundred sesterces with which he had brought into the church, and, when banished at last to a permanent excommunication, they scattered abroad the poisons of their doctrines. Afterwards, it is true, Marcion professed repentance, and agreed to the conditions granted to him, that he should receive reconciliation if he restored to the church all the others whom he had been training for perdition. He was prevented, however, by death. It was indeed necessary that there should be heresies, and yet it does not follow from that necessity that heresies are a good thing, as if it has not been necessary also that there should be evil. It was even necessary that the Lord should be betrayed. But woe to the traitor, so that no man may from this defend heresies. If we must likewise touch the descent of Apelles, he is far from being one of the old school, like his instructor and molder, Marcion. He rather forsook the countenance of Marcion, by resorting to the company of a woman, and withdrew to Alexandria, out of the sight of his most abstemious master, returning therefrom, after some years, unimproved, except that he was no longer a Marcionite. He claved to another woman, the maiden Philumene, whom we have already mentioned, who herself afterwards became an enormous prostitute. Having been imposed on by her vigorous spirit, he committed to writing and revelations which he had learned from her. Persons are still living who remember them, their own actual disciples and successors, who cannot therefore deny the lateness of their date. But in fact, by their own works they are convicted, even as the Lord said. For since Marcion separated the New Testament from the Old, he is necessarily subsequent to that which he separated, inasmuch as it was only in his power to separate what was previously united. Having then been united previous to its separation, the fact of its subsequent separation proves the subsequence also of the man who effected the separation. In like manner, Valentinus, by his different expositions and acknowledged emendations, makes these changes on the express ground of previous faultiness, and therefore demonstrates the difference of the documents. These corruptors of the truth we mention as being more notorious and more public than others. There is, however, a certain man named Nigidius, and Hermogenes, and several others, who still pursue the course of perverting the ways of the Lord. Let them show me by what authority they come. If it be some other god they preach, how comes it that they employ the things and the writings and the names of that god against whom they preach? If it be the same god, why treat him in some other way? Let them prove themselves to be new apostles. Let them maintain that Christ has come down a second time, taught in person a second time, has been twice crucified, twice dead, twice raised. For thus has the apostle described the order of events in the life of Christ. For thus, too, is he accustomed to make his apostles, to give them, that is, power besides of working the same miracles which he worked himself. I would therefore have their mighty deeds also brought forward, except that I allow their mightiest deed to be that by which they perversely vie with the apostles. For whilst they used to raise men to life from the dead, these consign men to death from their living state. Chapter 31 Truth First, Falsehood Afterwards, As Its Perversion Christ's parable puts the sowing of the good seed before the useless tares. Let me return, however, from this digression to discuss the priority of truth and the comparative lateness of falsehood, deriving support for my argument even from that parable which puts in the first place the sowing by the Lord of the good seed of the wheat, but introduces at a later stage the adulteration of the crop by its enemy the devil with the useless weed of the wild oats. For herein is figuratively described the difference of doctrines, since in other passages also the word of God is likened unto seed. From the actual order, therefore, it becomes clear that that which was first delivered is the Lord and is true, 
whilst that is strange and false which was afterward introduced, this sentence will keep its ground in opposition to all later heresies, which have no consistent quality of kindred knowledge inherent in them, to claim the truth as on their side. Chapter 32 None of the heretics claim succession from the apostles. New churches still apostolic, because their faith is that which the apostles taught and handed down. The heretics challenged to show any apostolic credentials. But if there be any heresies which are bold enough to plant themselves in the midst of the apostolic age, that they may thereby seem to have been handed down by the apostles, because they existed in the time of the apostles, we can say, let them produce the original records of their churches. Let them unfold the role of their bishops running down in due succession from the beginning in such a manner that that first bishop of theirs shall be able to show for his ordainer and predecessor some one of the apostles or of apostolic men, a man, moreover, who continued steadfast with the apostles. For this is the manner in which the apostolic churches transmit their registers, as the church of Smyrna, which records that Polycarp was placed therein by John, as also the church of Rome, which makes Clement to have been ordained in like manner by Peter. In exactly the same way, the other churches likewise exhibit their several worthies, whom, as having been appointed to their episcopal places by apostles, they regard as transmitters of the apostolic seed. Let the heretics contrive something of the same kind. For after their blasphemy, what is there that is unlawful for them to attempt? But should they even effect the contrivance, they will not advance a step, for their very doctrine, after comparison with that of the apostles, will declare, by its own diversity and contrariety, that it had for its author neither an apostle nor an apostolic man. Because, as the apostles would never have taught things which were self-contradictory, so the apostolic men would not have inculcated teaching different from the apostles, unless they who received their instruction from the apostles went and preached in a contrary manner. To this test, therefore, will they be submitted for proof by those churches, who, although they derive not their founder from apostles or apostolic men, as being of much later date, for they are in fact being founded daily, yet, since they agree in the same faith, they are accounted as not less apostolic because they are akin in doctrine. Then let all the heresies, when challenged to these two tests by our apostolic church, offer their proof of how they deem themselves to be apostolic. But in truth, they neither are so, nor are they able to prove themselves to be what they are not, nor are they admitted to peaceful relations and communion by such churches as are in any way connected with apostles, inasmuch as they are in no sense themselves apostolic because of their diversity as to the mysteries of the faith. Chapter 33 Present heresies, seedlings of the tares noted by the sacred writers, already condemned in Scripture, this descent of later heresy from the earlier traced in several instances. Beside all this, I add a review of the doctrines themselves, which existing as they did in the days of the apostles were both exposed and denounced by the said apostles. For by this method they will be more easily reprobated when they are detected to have been even then in existence, or at any rate to have been seedlings of the tares, which then were. Paul, in his first epistle to the Corinthians, sets his mark on certain who denied and doubted the resurrection. This opinion was the especial property of the Sadducees. A part of it, however, is maintained by Marcion and Apelles and Valentinus and all other impuners of the resurrection. Writing also to the Galatians, he inveighs against such men as observed and defend circumcision and the Mosaic law. Thus runs Hebion's heresy such also as forbid to marry, he reproaches in his instructions to Timothy. Now this is the teaching of Marcion and his follower Apelles. The apostle directs a similar blow against those who said that the resurrection was past already. Such an opinion did the Valentinians assert of themselves. When again he mentions endless genealogies, one also recognizes Valentinus, in whose system a certain Aeon, whosoever he be, of a new name, and that not one only generates of his own grace, sense, and truth. These, in like manner, produce of themselves word and life, while these again afterwards beget man and church. From these primary eight, ten other aeons after them spring, 
and then the twelve others arrive with their wonderful names to complete the mere story of the thirty aeons. The same apostle, when disapproving of those who are in bondage to elements, points us to some dogma of Hermogenes, who introduces matter as having no beginning, and then compares it with God, who has no beginning. By thus making the mother of the elements a goddess, he has it in his power to be in bondage to a being which he puts on par with God. John, however, in the Apocalypse, is charged to chastise those who eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit fornication. There are even now another sort of Nicolaitans. Theirs is called the Gaian heresy, but in his epistle he especially designates those as Antichrist, who denied the Christ was come in the flesh, and who refused to think that Jesus was the Son of God. The one dogma Marcion maintained, the other Hebion. The doctrine, however, of Simon's sorcery, which inculcated the worship of angels, was itself actually reckoned amongst idolaters and condemned by the Apostle Peter in Simon's own person. Chapter 34 No Early Controversy Respecting the Divine Creator No Second God Introduced at First Heresies Condemned Alike by the Sentence and the Silence of Holy Scripture These are, as I suppose, the different kinds of spurious doctrines, which, as we are informed by the apostles themselves, existed in their own day. And yet we find amongst so many various perversions of truth, not one school which raised any controversy concerning God as the creator of all things. No man was bold enough to surmise a second God. More readily was doubt felt about the Son than about the Father, until Marcion introduced, in addition to the Creator, another God of goodness only. Apelles made the creator of some nondescript glorious angel, who belonged to the superior God, the God, according to him, of the law and of Israel, affirming that he was fire. Valentinus disseminated his aeons, and traced the sin of one aeon to the production of God the creator. To none, forsooth, except these, nor prior to these, was revealed the truth of the divine nature, and they obtained this especial honor and fuller favor from the devil. We cannot doubt, because he wished even in this respect to rival God, that he might succeed, by the passion of his doctrines, in doing himself what the Lord said could not be done, making the disciples above their master. Let the entire mass of heresies choose, therefore, for themselves the times when they should appear, provided that the when be an unimportant point, allowing, too, that they be not of the truth and, as a matter of course, that such as had no existence in the time of the apostles could not possibly have had any connection with the apostles. If indeed they had then existed, their names would be extant, with a view to their own repression likewise. Those heresies indeed which did exist in the days of the apostles are condemned in their very mention. If it be true, then, that those heresies, which in the apostolic times were in a rude form, are now found to be the same, only in a much more polished shape, they derive their condemnation from this very circumstance, or, if they were not the same, but arose afterward in a different form, and merely assumed from them certain tenets, then, by sharing with them an agreement in their teaching, they must needs partake in their condemnation, by reason of the above-mentioned definition of lateness of date, which meets us on the very threshold. Even if they were free from any participation in condemned doctrine, they would stand already judged on the mere ground of time, being all the more spurious because they were not even named by the apostles. Whence we have the firmer assurance that these were the heresies which even then were announced as about to arise. Chapter 35 Let heretics maintain their claims by a definite and intelligible evidence. This the only method of solving their questions. Catholics appeal always to evidence traceable to apostolic sources. Challenged and refuted by us, according to these definitions, let all the heresies boldly on their part also advance similar rules to these against our doctrine, whether they be later than the apostles or contemporary with the apostles, provided they be different from them, provided also they were, by either a general or specific censure, precondemned by them. For since they deny the truth of our doctrine, they ought to prove that it also is heresy, refutable by the same rule as that by which they are themselves refuted, and at the same time to show us where we must seek the truth, 
which it is by this time evident has no existence amongst them. Our system is not behind any in date. On the contrary, it is earlier than all, and this fact will be the evidence of that truth which everywhere occupies the first place. The apostles, again, nowhere condemn it. They rather defend it, a fact which will show that it comes from themselves. For that doctrine which they refrain from condemning, when they have condemned every strange opinion, they show to be their own, and on that ground, too, they defend it. Chapter 36 The Apostolic Churches, the Voice of the Apostles, let the heretics examine their apostolic claims, in each case, indisputable. The Church of Rome, doubly apostolic, its early eminence and excellence, heresy, as perverting the truth, is connected therewith. Come now, you who would indulge a better curiosity, if you would apply it to the business of your salvation, run over the apostolic churches, in which the very thrones of the apostles are still preeminent in their places, in which their own authentic writings are read, uttering the voice and representing the face of each of them severally, Achaia is very near you, in which you find Corinth. Since you are not far from Macedonia, you have Philippi, and there, too, you have the Thessalonians. Since you are able to cross to Asia, you get Ephesus. Since, moreover, you are close upon Italy, you have Rome, from which there comes even into our own hands the very authority of apostles themselves. How happy is its church, on which apostles poured forth all their doctrine along with their blood, where Peter endures a passion like his Lord's, where Paul wins his crown in a death like John's, where the Apostle John was first plunged, unhurt, into boiling oil, and thence remitted to his island exile. See what she has learned, what taught, what fellowship has had with even our churches in Africa. One Lord God does she acknowledge, the Creator of the universe, and Christ Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, the Son of God, the Creator, and the resurrection of the flesh. The law and the prophets she unites in one volume with the writings of evangelists and apostles, from which she drinks in her faith. This she seals with the water of baptism and arrays with the Holy Ghost, feeds with the Eucharist, cheers with martyrdom, and against such a discipline thus maintained she admits no gainsayer. This is the discipline which I no longer say foretold that heresy should come, but from which they proceeded. However, they were not of her, because they were opposed to her. Even the rough wild olive arises from the germ of the fruitful, rich and genuine olive. Also from the seed of the mellowest and sweetest fig there springs the empty and useless wild fig. In the same way heresies, too, come from our plant, although not of our kind. They come from the grain of truth, but, owing to their falsehood, they have only wild leaves to show. Chapter 37 Heretics not being Christians, but rather perverters of Christ's teachings, may not claim the Christian scriptures. These are a deposit committed to and carefully kept by the Church. Since this is the case, in order that the truth may be adjudged to belong to us, as many as walk according to the rule, which the church has handed down from the apostles, the apostles from Christ and Christ from God, the reason of our position is clear when it determines that heretics ought not to be allowed to challenge an appeal to scriptures, since we, without the scriptures, prove that they have nothing to do with the scriptures. For as they are heretics, they cannot be true Christians, because it is not from Christ that they get that which they pursue of their own mere choice, and from the pursuit incur and admit the name of heretics. Thus, not being Christians, they have acquired no right to the Christian scriptures, and it may be very fairly said to them, Who are you? When and whence do you come? As you are none of mine, what have you to do with that which is mine? Indeed, Marcion, by what right do you whom I would? By whose permission, Valentinus, are you diverting the streams of my fountain? By what power, Apelles, are you removing my landmarks? This is my property. Why are you, the rest, sowing and feeding here at your own pleasure? This, I say, is my property. I have long possessed it. I possessed it before you. I hold sure title deeds from the original owners themselves, to whom the estate belonged. I am the heir of the apostles." just as they carefully prepared their will and testament and committed it to a trust 
and adjured the trustees to be faithful to their charge, even so do I hold it. As for you, they have, it is certain, always held you as disinherited, and rejected you as strangers, as enemies. But on what ground are heretics strangers and enemies to the apostle, if it be not from the difference of their teaching, which each individual of his own mere will has either advanced or received in opposition to the apostles? Chapter 38 Harmony of the Church and the Scriptures Heretics have tampered with the Scriptures, and mutilated and altered them. Catholics never change the Scriptures, which always testify for them. Where diversity of doctrine is found, there, then, must the corruption both of the Scriptures and the expositions thereof be regarded as existing. On those whose purpose it was to teach differently lay the necessity of differently arranging the instruments of doctrine. They could not possibly have affected their diversity of teaching in any other way than by having a difference in the means whereby they taught. As in their case, corruption in doctrine could not possibly have succeeded without a corruption also of its instruments. So to ourselves also integrity of doctrine could not have accrued without integrity in those means by which doctrine is managed. Now, what is there in our scripture which is contrary to us? What of our own have we introduced? that we should have to take it away again, or else add to it, or alter it, in order to restore to its natural soundness anything which is contrary to it, and contained in the Scriptures? What we are ourselves, that also the Scriptures are, and have been from the beginning. Of them we have our being, before there was any other way, before they were interpolated by you. Now, inasmuch as all interpolation must be believed to be a later process, for the express reason that it proceeds from rivalry which is never in any case previous to, nor home-born with that which it emulates, it is as incredible to every man of sense that we should seem to have introduced any corrupt text into the Scriptures, existing as we have been from the very first, and being the first, as it is that they have not, in fact, introduced it who are both later in date and opposed to the Scriptures. One man perverts the Scriptures with his hand, another their meaning by his exposition. For although Valentina seems to use the entire volume, he has nonetheless laid violent hands on the truth only with a more cunning mind and skill than Marcion. Marcion expressly and openly used the knife, not the pen, since he made such an excision of the scriptures as suited his own subject matter. Valentinus, however, abstained from such excision, because he did not invent scriptures to square with his own subject matter, he adapted his matter to the scriptures, and yet he took away more, and added more, by removing the proper meaning of every particular word, and adding fantastic arrangements of things which have no real existence. Chapter 39. What St. Paul calls spiritual wickedness displayed by pagan authors and by heretics in no dissimilar manner, holy scripture especially liable to heretical manipulation, affords material for heresies just as Virgil has been groundwork of literary plagiarisms, different in pursuit from the original. There were the ingenious arts of spiritual wickedness, wherewith we also, my brethren, may fairly expect to have to wrestle, as necessary for faith, that the elect may be made manifest, and that the reprobate may be discovered. And therefore they possess influence and a facility in thinking out and fabricating errors, which ought not to be wondered at as if it were a difficult and inexplicable process, seeing that in profane writings also an example comes ready to hand of a similar facility. You see in our own day, composed out of Virgil, a story of a wholly different character, the subject matter being arranged according to the verse, and the verse according to the subject matter. In short, Hosidius Geta has most completely pilfered his tragedy of media from Virgil a near relative of my own, among some leisure productions of his pen, has composed out of the same poet, the Table of Cebes. On the same principle, those poetasters are commonly called Homerocentones, collectors of Homeric odds and ends, who stitch into one piece, patchwork fashion, works of their own from the lines of Homer, out of many scraps put together from this passage and from that, in miscellaneous confusion. Now, unquestionably, the divine scriptures are more fruitful in resources of all kinds for this sort of facility. 
nor do I risk contradiction in saying that the very scriptures were even arranged by the will of God in such a manner as to furnish materials for heretics, inasmuch as I read that there must be heresies which there cannot be without the scriptures. Chapter 40 No difference in the spirit of idolatry and of heresy. In the rites of idolatry, Satan imitated and distorted the divine institutions of the older scriptures the Christian scriptures corrupted by him in the perversions of the various heretics. The question will arise, by whom is to be interpreted the sense of the passages which make for heresies? By the devil, of course, to whom pertain those wiles which pervert the truth, and who, by the mystic rites of his idols, vies even for the essential portions of the sacraments of God. He, too, baptizes, some, that is, his own believers and faithful followers, he promises the putting away of sins by a layer of his own. And if my memory still serves me, Mithra there, in the kingdom of Satan, sets his marks on the foreheads of his soldiers, celebrates also the oblation of bread, and introduces an image of a resurrection, and before a sword wreathes a crown. What also must we say to Satan's limiting his chief priest to a single marriage? He too has his virgins. He too has his proficients in continence. Suppose now we resolve in our minds the superstitions of Numa Pompilius, and consider his priestly offices and badges and privileges, his sacrificial services too, and the instruments and vessels of the sacrifices themselves, and the curious rites of his expiations and vows. Is it not clear to us that the devil imitated the well-known moroseness of the Jewish law? Since, therefore, he has shown such emulation in his great aim of expressing, in the concerns of his idolatry, those very things of which consists the administration of Christ's sacraments, it follows, of course, that the same being, possessing still the same genius, both set his heart upon and succeeded in adapting to his profane and rival creed the very documents of divine things and of the Christian saints, his interpretation from their interpretations, his words from their words, his parables from their parables. For this reason, then, no one ought to doubt either that spiritual wickedness, from which also heresies come, have been introduced by the devil, or that there is any real difference between heresies and idolatry, seeing that they appertain both to the same author and the same work that idolatry does. They either pretend that there is another God in opposition to the Creator, or even if they acknowledge that the Creator is the one only God, they treat of Him as a different being from what He is in truth. The consequence is that every lie which they speak of God is in a certain sense a sort of idolatry. Chapter 41 The Conduct of Heretics Its Frivolity, Worldliness, and Irregularity the notorious wantonness of their women. I must not omit, on account of the conduct also of the heretics, how frivolous it is, how worldly, how merely human, without seriousness, without authority, without discipline, as suits their creed. To begin with, it is doubtful who is a catechumen and who a believer. They have all access alike. They hear alike, they pray alike, even heathens, if any such happen to come among them. That which is holy they will cast to the dogs and their pearls, although, to be sure, they are not real ones. They will fling to the swine. Simplicity they will have to consist in the overthrow of discipline, attention to which on our part they call brotherly. Peace also they huddle up anyhow with all comers. For it matters not to them, however different be their treatment of subjects, provided only they can conspire together to storm the citadel of the one only truth. All are puffed up, all offer you knowledge. Their catechumens are perfect before they are full taught. The very women of these heretics, how wanton they are, for they are bold enough to teach, to dispute, to enact exorcisms, to undertake curses, it may be even to baptize. Their ordinations are carelessly administered, capricious, changeable. At one time they put novices in office, at another time men who are bound to some secular employment at another, persons who have apostatized from us, to bind them by vainglory, since they cannot buy the truth. Nowhere is promotion easier than in the camp of rebels, where the mere fact of being there is a foremost service. And so it comes to pass that today one man is their bishop, tomorrow another. 
Today he is a deacon who tomorrow is a reader. Today he is a presbyter who tomorrow is a layman. For even on laymen do they impose the functions of priesthood. Chapter 42 Heretics work to pull down and to destroy, not to edify and elevate. Heretics do not adhere even to their own traditions, but harbor dissent even from their own founders. But what shall I say concerning the ministry of the word, since they make it their business not to convert the heathen, but to subvert our people? This is rather the glory which they catch at, to compass the fall of those who stand, not the raising of those who are down. Accordingly, since the very work which they purpose to themselves comes not from the building up of their own society, but from the demolition of the truth, they undermine our edifices, that they may erect their own. Only deprive them of the law of Moses and the prophets and the divinity of the Creator, and they have not another objection to talk about. The consequence is that they more easily accomplish the ruin of standing houses than the erection of fallen ruins. It is only when they have such objects in view that they show themselves humble and bland and respectful. Otherwise they know no respect even for their own leaders. Hence it is supposed that schisms seldom happen among heretics because, even when they exist, they are not obvious. Their very unity, however, is schism. I am greatly in error if they do not amongst themselves swerve even from their own regulations, for as much as every man, just as it suits his own temper, modifies the traditions he has received after the same fashion as the man who handed them down did, when he molded them according to his own will. The progress of the matter is an acknowledgment at once of its character and of the manner of its birth. That was allowable to the Valentinians, which has been allowed to Valentinus. That was also fair for the Marcionites, which has been done by Marcion, even to innovate on the faith, as was agreeable to their own pleasure. In short, all heresies, when thoroughly looked into, are detected harboring dissent in many particulars even from their own founders. The majority of them have not even churches. Motherless, houseless, creedless, outcast, they wander about in their own essential worthlessness. Chapter 43 Loose company preferred by heretics, ungodliness the effect of their teaching, the very opposite of Catholic truth, which promotes the fear of God, both in religious ordinances and practical life. It has been a subject of remark how extremely frequent is the intercourse which heretics hold with magicians, with mountebanks, with astrologers, with philosophers, and the reason is that they are men who devote themselves to curious questions. Seek and ye shall find is everywhere in their minds. Thus, from the very nature of their conduct, may be estimated the quality of their faith. In their discipline we have an index of their doctrine. They say that God is not to be feared, therefore all things are in their view free and unchecked. Where, however, is God not feared, except for where he is not? Where God is not, there truth also is not. Where there is no truth, then, naturally enough, there is also such a discipline as theirs. But where God is, there exists the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. Where the fear of God is, there is seriousness, an honorable and yet thoughtful diligence, as well as an anxious carefulness and a well-considered admission to the sacred ministry, and a safely guarded communion, and promotion after good service, and scrupulous submission to authority, and a devout attendance, and a modest gait, and a united church, and God in all things. Chapter 44 Heresy lowers respect for Christ, and destroys all fear of his great judgment. The tendency of heretical teaching on this solemn article of the faith, the present treatise, an introduction to certain other anti-heretical works of our author. These evidences, then, of a stricter discipline existing among us, are an additional proof of truth, from which no man can safely turn aside, who bears in mind that future judgment, when we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to render an account of our faith itself before all things. What then will they say who shall have defiled it, even the virgin which Christ committed to them with the adultery of heretics? I suppose they will allege that no injunction was ever addressed to them by him or by his apostles concerning depraved and perverse doctrines assailing them or about their avoidance and abhorring the same. He and his apostles, perhaps, will acknowledge that the blame rather lies with themselves 
and their disciples in not having given us previous warning and instruction. They will, besides, add a great deal respecting the high authority of each doctor of heresy, how that these mightily strengthened belief in their own doctrine, how that they raised the dead, restored the sick, foretold the future, that so they might deservedly be regarded as apostles, as if this caution were not also in the written record, that many should come here to work even the greatest miracles in defense of the deceit of their corrupt teaching. So forsooth, they will deserve to be forgiven. If, however, any being mindful of the writings and the denunciations of the Lord and the apostles shall have stood firm in the integrity of the faith, I suppose they will run great risk of missing pardon when the Lord answers. I painfully forewarned you that there should be teachers of false doctrine in my name, as well as that of the prophets and the apostles also. And to my own disciples did I give a charge that they should preach the same things to you. But as for you, it was not, of course, to be supposed that you would believe me. I once gave the gospel and the doctrines and the said rule of life and faith to my apostles, but afterwards it was my pleasure to make considerable changes in it. I have promised a resurrection, even of the flesh, but on second thoughts it struck me that I might not be able to keep my promise. I had showed myself to have been born of a virgin, but this seemed to me afterwards to be a discreditable thing. I had said that he was my father, who is the maker of the sun and the showers, but another and better father has adopted me. I had forbidden you to lend an ear to heretics, but in this I erred. Such blasphemies, it is possible, do enter the minds of those who go out of their right path, and who do not defend the true faith from the danger which besets it. On the present occasion, indeed, our treatise has rather taken up a general position against heresies, showing that they must all be refuted on definite, equitable, and necessary rules without any comparison with the Scriptures. For the rest, if God in His grace permit, we shall prepare answers to certain of these heresies in separate treatises. To those who may devote their leisure in reading through these pages, in the belief of the truth, be peace and the grace of our God Jesus Christ forever.